0: Welcome to the program, friends. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, joining you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan. And once again, it's great to have all of you here listening tonight and tuned into the broadcast. So thank you for doing that. And we have an especially interesting conversation lined up for you tonight, I think, on a very, very interesting topic and uh, one that I think has been vastly underexplored. So let's correct that underexploration by turning our focus to this topic tonight. And I will introduce it by uh, g- noting a very interesting story that just came across the newswires. It's via RT, but I'll take it from the Alexander Higgins blog, which has it under the headline, Cops Catch Attempted Batman Mass Murder Copycat with Massive Arsenal. And it says, Maine police say they have retrieved a massive arsenal from a man said to have attended the Batman film with a loaded handgun. And that story goes into some detail about this, uh, this very interesting experience that took place recently in Maine. And, uh, well, there's quite a few coincidences in there, including the fact that tonight we are joined on the line from Portland, Maine, by our guest Lauren Coleman, who has a blog that's uh, titled Twilight Language. It's available at copycateffect.blogspot.com, and uh, it, he, he is the author of a book called The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines which is a very interesting way of exploring what is happening right now in Aurora, Colorado. So uh, so let's bring him up on the line. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
1: Sure, it's good to be joining you here.
0: Well, let's let's start by introducing the idea of the, the copycat effect to listeners out there who may be hearing you for the first time. Just tell us a, a briefly about your book and uh, how it came together.
1: Well, my book is uh, really, it explores the notion that the media... Uh, usually through graphic content, sensationalism, uh, takes uh, models of violent behavior and really implants them in vulnerable, suicidal, homicidal individuals. And I started studying this way back in the 70s when what we mostly were seeing were suicide clusters around the country, around North America, and also around the world. But of course, the media in North America really got into uh, proposing and promoting this as the main way to circulate newspapers and then radio shows and then television. And what occurred was uh, we noticed that, uh, that certainly when there were clusters of suicides in the community, it's sometimes uh, an expression that wasn't, didn't exist back then but that actually would go viral across the country when any of these suicide stories became national news. Well, late in the 80s, uh, there was lots of attempts through mental health systems, through media watchdog groups, through conscientious editors, to try to really tone down some of the graphic details uh, in the suicides in terms of who was being hung, who was using guns, when were they doing it, different things like that. But this got supplanted by the school shootings. So what you had was individuals who... Formerly had been killing themselves decided to take other people with them. And they would go into schools and they would start shooting up to schools. And this became such a wonderful, sensational entertainment story for the news media that it became uh, something that they would really, in, in many ways, I, I hate to use the word, but it would certainly uh, excite them. Uh, it was sort of like if you ever watched a weatherman, and there's a tornado coming or a hurricane, there's a little bit of excitement you can tell from the weathermen. Well, that started happening with some of those news podcasters.
0: Unfortunately so, them. I think, sure. absolutely it's quite disturbing the way that uh, the news often takes a prurient interest in these types of stories, almost like it is an excitement, so, um, so absolutely. Well, let's take a, a short breather, we're going to uh, take our first break, but we'll be right back talking once again to Lauren Coleman effect.blogspot.com. Alright, friends, welcome back once again. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and we are talking to Lauren Coleman of CopycatEffect.blogspot.com. He has a blog called Twilight, Li- Twilight Language, and it says the Twilight Language explores hidden meanings and synchromistic connections via onomat- onomatology, study of names, and toponymy, study of place names. And this blog further investigates name games and number coincidences found in news and history, and examinations are also found in the copycat effect once again. this is the uh, the, the book that uh, that the uh, author Lauren Coleman wrote about this several years ago. So uh, we are exploring some of these interesting connections that are taking place right now in terms of what's happening with the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting at the screening of The Dark Knight Rises. And already the copycat meme is, is starting to, uh, to infest itself in the public consciousness. And we already see a copycat taking place in Maine where we are being joined right now on the line by our guest, Lauren Coleman, who I understand actually did go to see Dark Knight Rises at that very movie theater just last week, shortly after the original shooting took place. So let's start getting into the details of this, and let's hear a little bit about your own experience.
1: Well, um, let me just start with the 19th. On the 19th, I wrote a blog in which I felt compelled to write that I was expecting something uh, very large was going to happen on the 20th. I thought that, uh, and I really very much directly related it to the opening of the Dark Knight, when the Dark uh, Knight Rises. When the Dark Knight uh, opened in 2008, there were many Joker copycats, including uh, an attack on a Belgian daycare center, uh, where a person dressed up as a Joker and went around stabbing babies, and, and a teacher so I, I felt there was something going on. And also the other thing that occurred was a year ago on July 22nd was when the uh, attack occurred uh, in Norway for the individual on the island and sold to uh, 77 people. That happened exactly on the same day that Captain America opened in the United States. So I felt something was going to happen. I'd already purchased my tickets for Brahe at 3 o'clock uh, at the... Uh, Cinemagic IMAX in Saco, Maine I, I got all of a sudden at 4.27 in the morning I woke up with the start feeling there was someone in the room telling me, you know, Lauren, Lauren they were waking me up this has never happened to me before but I was uh, immediately I went to my uh, computer, turned it on and found out there was all these alerts for the Aurora situation and the shooting there I went to the movie in the afternoon. I noticed various things about the movie. And then, uh, of course, it's come out yesterday and today that the first copycat in the United States of someone that got together an arsenal of weapons that exactly matched uh, what this individual in Aurora, Colorado, got, as well as the uh, main state troopers that pulled him over, they noticed on his seat of his car, was clippings of the Aurora shooting and he said that he went on Saturday and exactly 24 hours after I was there to the same theater the the IMAX in Sacramento, Maine and it just felt very creepy, very creepy of all of the copycat places in the United States for it to happen in the same theater as the one I went to just was too close for comfort. There have been hmm. a couple other uh, copycat situations in Arizona and California
0: since then. I can imagine that's uh, that's disturbing for anyone but certainly for someone who's examined this phenomenon so much it's uh, particularly well coincidental we'll say but uh, obviously we need to explore that some more but let's let's start by exploring your most recent blog entry called Aurora Copycats Prepare Now and uh, it, it looks like you're predicting that uh, on the July 27th will be a, a time that people should be prepared for potential copycat type uh, uh, actions.
1: Right, uh, the the patterns to me are are very clearly uh, mapped out. Uh, I think that anyone that studies this field for thirty years can't go around blindly and think that there's not human patterns. Humans have anniversary syndromes. They they have an internal clock that really needs to be uh, attended to. And for those individuals that are mentally ill, that are angry, that are vulnerable, that are homicidal, they're. In these uh, school shootings, the suicide clusters, and, and now in this phenomena, I think we're seeing a pattern that's coming out over and over again. One week after a media-driven phenomena like this, you're going to usually see an outburst, a copycat outburst. So that's why I predict this Friday that we're probably going to get a near-fatal incident. Uh, then there's a two-week cycle. Then there's a one-month cycle and then you you have different things, especially on the year anniversary. Uh, it's a very dangerous time, and uh, law enforcement officers, and I think we have to add a whole new group of people. Those people that that work at movie theaters uh, need to be aware of this coming Friday. Uh, but as I, I mentioned in the blog, I think the other thing that we've got to be looking at as far as what's happening Friday is that's the opening of the London Olympics. Uh, obviously, that's a situation where you've got a lot of security already there, uh, but certainly um, uh, it's something worth looking at. And the other thing I just heard uh, earlier in the evening, which I added to the blog later, is that uh, the Dark Night Rises opens all across Mexico this Friday. And there's been a lot of violence down there with uh, what they call the red shirts. And as uh, you probably, if you've been reading my blog, notice there's a lot of red in this. Uh, the Joker, in the past, has mostly had green hair. But this individual in Aurora, Colorado, actually uh, dyed his hair uh, orangish-red. And even within the name, Aurora uh, means dawn, and Colorado means red. And so I've actually started calling this, this has been a Red Dawn event. that is a, a real milestone changer. Uh, something that is really much more different than we've seen really since Columbine. Uh, this is a ground, groundbreaking event that I think actually is going to change society in some ways that we, we can't even imagine yet.
0: Well, very disturbing, especially um, when we think about what comes after the Dark night other than the Red Dawn. And unfortunately, uh, uh, well, we have to hope that it doesn't play out in that type of copycat scenario, but we have to be aware that it certainly can and that the uh, the place pieces are all in place for that. So let's start talking about some of the other uh, the Joker copycats that you've noted um, through the past that have already sprung up before this incident.
1: Well, okay. Um, actually, uh as I noted uh, you know, in some of my research, on July 27, 2008, uh, one of the first Joker copycat incidents was an individual that showed up at a theater uh, in Michigan, and he started going wild, uh, tearing down posters, trying to steal posters. Uh, the theater managers and uh, some of the employees tackled him, called the police, and uh, got him arrested. Those kinds of incidents started happening around the country with people uh, doing violent crimes and almost uh, very crazy anarchist sort of crimes uh, uh, dressed up as jokers. And then what occurred is um, when all of a sudden the, um, the, the dark night reopened in January, on January 23rd, in IMAXs all across the world. That same weekend in Belgium, this individual uh, Kim Degree, uh, actually ju- in a very elaborate costume with reddish hair, uh, dressed up as the Joker, went to the daycare center. This daycare center in uh, Belgium, and stabbed many, many children. Uh, luckily, only two died as opposed to the, the high number of stabbings and one teacher. Obviously, it's not lucky that anybody died, but you know what I mean. At least it was mostly survivors. Uh, and we, we saw that over and over again. These, these joker copycats were doing that. Um, and so I, I wasn't surprised. All of a sudden, after this Aurora incident, uh, I guess somebody in Norwalk, California, late on Sunday after the main incident uh, went into a movie uh, crouched down in the middle of the aisle and started shouting out uh, I'm going to do a Colorado uh, you know that's just not funny it's not funny it's definitely it's almost worse than, than crying fire in a theater right now And he luckily was uh, tackled and arrested and then there was another incident in Arizona uh, very soon after that, in which apparently uh, a person uh, started shouting out some things. So I, I think we haven't seen the uh, the copycats that are dressing up as a joker since uh, the Aurora. But we're certainly in the main situation. He he had uh, enough ammunition. He had ten thousand rounds of ammunition. Uh, it came out in the main newspapers and media today. The other thing that he did, which uh, in some of the media people are missing, early on Sunday he bought a brand-new Mustang, all black, which is exactly the same kind of vehicle used by Maine state troopers to hide amongst the traffic uh, and then catch speeders. So he was actually trying to go very covertly into a black ops of his own and creating a situation where he was trying to to become a a police officer. Now, of course, his relatives are coming out and saying he has psychotic episodes and he takes medication. Uh, Yes, yes, I understand that. People are mentally ill, but they still can hurt people. Absolutely,
0: and and unfortunately, I think that's something that we often see connected with these cases as well as as we know with Columbine and other such incidents. It's uh, a question of the psychotic state of, states of mind they're in, but of course in, they're unfortunately able to to commit such spectacular acts of violence, with emphasis on the word spectacle. And uh, unfortunately, that again is just replayed and replayed for people until it starts to play itself out again and again for the public. On that note, let's take another short break. We'll be right back with Lauren Coleman right after these messages. All right, we're back once again here on Corbett Report Radio this evening talking to Lauren Coleman of The Copycat Effect. He he wrote a book on the subject called The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines. He also maintains a blog at copycateffect.blogspot.com where he's uh, been in the past several days noting some of the many, many different connections and uh, media portrayals of the Joker, etc., in popular culture, and how that may be playing into the creation of a copycat meme, whereby copycats uh, may attempt to really uh, reenact in some way what what took place in Aurora last week. There's lots and lots to be said on this subject, but I note uh, another interesting Olympic coincidence to all of this, because of course the Olympics do open on Friday. Uh, there's a, uh, a poster that he uh, that Lauren notes in one of his blog posts that shows a uh, one of the individuals in this poster looks, shall we say, somewhat like the uh, the James Holmes portrayal of the the Joker with the uh, the red hair. So, just another part of that uh, that chain of memes and coincidences that are swirling around in the public imagination right now. So, playing out from this, uh, the the Olympics, of course, is a, is in itself an event that's going to to a- attract the eyes and ears of billions of people around the world, quite literally. How do you think this is likely to play into this, or is this going to be a, a different type of uh, media spectacle altogether?
1: Well, um, it's it's coming together uh, with a lot of anniversary coincidences. This is um, the 40th year of the Munich man- Massacre, so I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot about that. And the media just loves to uh, talk about their massacres and they like to talk about their violence, which stimulates people and stirs up the wrong kind of individuals. Uh, also, we've got the, um, uh, some tie-ins the, uh, this Friday, The 27th is the anniversary, one of the anniversaries, the exact date anniversary of um, the Centennial Park bombing in Atlanta. So you've got those sort of, what I look at is all of these patterns, and where do they cross over? Uh, You know, I'm very aware of this, and I study it, and I look at the patterns. But for those individuals who uh, work on this, Different level of reality, like uh, Mr. Holmes out there in Aurora. It's obvious from looking at his eyes, looking at his behavior, seeing what he did to those individuals that he's not. He doesn't live in the same community that you and I do. So it, you have to sometimes take yourself out of the normality and the reality of our world here and try to. Put yourself in the place and walk in the shoes of those who are really, in many ways, trying to work in a temporal time zone that doesn't exist. And it is interesting that uh, Holmes, one of the things that he did study was uh, temporal quantum mechanics. Uh, he was very interested in shifting time. And so, I, um, you know, I like to be grounded myself, but I, I occasionally have to look at some of the most bizarre things to see what people that are mentally ill uh, do now one of the things that really concerns me about Aurora you were mentioning Columbine Columbine and uh, Virginia Tech and and lots of the recent college and school shootings that we've all been very very interested in really have been uh, in a hundred percent of the cases suicidal individuals who would either kill themselves, uh, they would die by cop, suicide by cop, or they would get stopped right before they killed themselves. Now, the thing that really worries me about Aurora is this person did this act, and he was wearing body armor. He did not want to die. He wanted to live. He wanted to perhaps see his handiwork. He wanted to perhaps a stage in court who knows what if what really concerns me is uh, a few years ago I mentioned that I thought the psychological needs of these school shooters was that they were increasing the body count well I think you're seeing two things go on on here increasing the body count but also um, uh, armoring of the shooters in a way that we've never seen before uh, and that's that's very Uh, very frightening and scary for um, the survival of people that get themselves involved. Because uh, even to tackle this individual, he wouldn't have been harmed very easily because he had um, an incredible amount of SWAT-like material on his body.
0: It is the propagation of a a different idea in in kind in that sense, certainly. And uh, and as you say, I mean, does this represent something of an escalation from the, the school shooting meme that we saw playing out 10 years ago?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. I think we're, we're that's why I'm seeing this as a real shift. Uh, I think whenever we went from suicide clusters of one or two individuals in a weekend uh, killing themselves to the school shooting situations where people were going into the, the fishbowl of a school, at least they were usually students of that school, and uh, sometimes they would stop themselves or get caught or kill themselves. Now if we have this shift into... I mean, over 4,400 theaters played The Dark Night Rises. And so you're creating, this is really community. This is really, every neighborhood is a possible shooting gallery. That, that really changes
0: the picture it certainly does and of course you have to know that pretty much every single person in every one of those 4400 theaters was thinking about this uh, during that uh, last weekend and uh, with that kind of mental energy directed at one spot you know there are going to be mentally disturbed individuals who are going to play it out so we'll have to uh, continue exploring this on that note let's take another short break we'll be right back with Lauren Coleman All right, friends, welcome back to the broadcast. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on republicbroadcasting.org. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Lauren Coleman, author of The Copycat Effect, How the Media and Popular Culture Trigger the Mayhem in Tomorrow's Headlines. We're talking about the unfortunate and disturbing uh, memes and and ideas that are swirling around given the mass shooting in Colorado last week. If you have anything you'd like to bring to the discussion, the phone lines are open 1-800-313-9443. We'll get you up and on the air. But Lauren, let's turn to the question of the media and their role in all of this, which we touched on earlier, but let's let's start exploring that. Um obviously, I think we can all understand how the media's obsessive coverage of these types of mass uh, murder t- spectacles is is in some way contributory to uh to future iterations of that event. But specifically, how does the media play into this and what's their role in creating these types of copycats?
1: Well, what what we've got going on, of course, is that uh, these suicidal, homicidal, vulnerable individuals uh, very much are a blank slate. And if uh, it's been proven over and over again in research that some of these individuals literally sit in front of their TVs for 24, 48 hours, and they're overwhelmed with these graphic images. They're overwhelmed with uh, this being a mode of choice for them to deal with their problems. Uh, Most of these individuals, uh, you know, if they had any human contact, they would need to talk to individuals, but most most of them are uh, isolated uh, psychologically, sometimes uh, in relationships they're they're, uh, isolated or in their jobs. But the media just uh, gives these these models for behavior over and over again. And it's kind of intriguing because my book, for instance, has been uh, routinely uh, given some some kind of uh, mileage up in Canada, but American media tend to be very defensive when you talk about that there's too much graphic violence or that they're they're doing too much, uh, you know, trying to distracted with discussions about um, what the motives are or how it was done or, or looking at that, and, and they don't want to look at that. I mean, if you, if you watched any of the coverage this weekend, and, and it was brutal. It was, it was actually very, the first wall-to-wall coverage for something like this over four days since uh, Virginia Tech. And that, that certainly implants and brainwashes these individuals in a way that the media doesn't want to look at. But one of the things that keeps coming out, of course, is this whole, um, oh, he was a nice boy, or he never bothered anyone, or I I never talked to him. Well, if you think about it, if you actually put yourself in a position of thinking, how would you answer the media on that question? Would you say, oh, no, I had barbecue with this, this guy all the time. Oh, we were drinking buddies. As soon as any individual like this is identified, all of society is going to isolate them. And so what the media does is they keep perpetrating this lone nut theory. So if if this person did have friends, if it was a conspiracy, if there was even any connection to any of his research or his labs or to the the fact that there was a, a military psych lab in that area, but we'll never really hear about it because the media is actually in cahoots with keeping these stories in the the sphere of it's just a lone nut. Um, and you know, you and I would definitely uh, we would want to reinforce that by saying, of course, we didn't know this individual who would want to identify with a mass murderer.
0: Exactly right. That's an interesting point and and certainly it does feed into a narrative that's been crafted over at the very least the last 48 years since the lone nut supposedly assassinated JFK in Dallas and uh and that's something that often plays into the authorities hands in in situations like this where they want to to always portray it as just one one isolated individual and it it creates the question of how the media itself handles the question of its own role in all of this as you say there has been some coverage in canadian uh, uh, uh press for for years now about your work including uh one for example from canada.com why mad men set their sights on schools talking about the dawson college shooting and the uh, the spree of school shootings that were taking place at that time but the american media seems quite uh, quiet about this this the possibility that they are somehow complicit in this for obvious reasons i suppose but let's talk about their own refusal to look at this issue
1: well, I think that uh, all you have to do is go back to Virginia Tech. And uh, here's an individual who set up a media uh, media guidebook, actually. He, he created videotapes, he did a manifesto, and he mailed it around to different media individuals. And uh, NBC decided to show the videos to give this guy uh, a platform from which to, to talk about his craziness. And I, I think that the media are really stooges in terms of thinking that we're going to understand anything by listening to a, a person that's mentally ill, uh, their comments, their their platform, their their thoughts and motives, because it's, it, it doesn't connect to any kind of reality. And yet, uh, what what happened with him and a Uh, NBC was they really got themselves in a hole because they made a celebrity of the Virginia Tech killer and for weeks afterwards they were apologizing they were saying they made a mistake but it didn't really change because uh, they did it over and over again. Every time any of these killers give any uh, sliver of information it's put all over the media and, and they don't really realize that that's reinforces the next person, the next person who wants to kill someone and then think they're going to be uh, a media hero. Uh, All they have to do is look at the last killing, the last series of killings.
0: Well, it's quite disturbing, especially, obviously, myself as a a radio broadcaster and someone with an online presence as well. Uh, it, It creates the question of how to talk about these issues without, in a way, playing into the creation of the copycat.
1: Right, right. And and, uh, in my book, I talk about recommendations at the end, and uh, actually the many, many individuals in the suicide field and the school shooting field gathered together in the late 80s and then sort of revised some of these. And they were very simple things, like whenever you uh, start talking about some of these killings or some of the suicides or some of the school shootings, you don't give detailed information. Uh, it, it's far enough away that I can talk about some of the, these examples without them uh, giving, giving sort of a blueprint for the next person. But if you look in uh, 2006 and 2007, and you start with the incident in Bailey, Colorado, I don't know if you remember it, but there was an individual that went into a school and he took hostages of all of the young little girls and he lined them up against uh, a chalkboard. And one of the things that he did, uh, the reason we know how he did this is the local sheriff kept having news conferences in which, in extreme detail, uh, in news news conferences which were broadcast all over the country, he detailed how this individual had done a brand new thing that nobody had done before in the school shootings, which was to put chains Across the doors, so the police officers could not get into the school. Why he had a news conference in which he told uh, that in great detail just completely flabbergasted me. But what occurred was within you know the, the patterned period. You had the Amish school shooting, in which the individual went into the school and he put the chains through the door so that none of the media, none of the um, police officers could come in and what did Chow do when he went to Virginia Tech? He put chains through the doors. So that pattern, which we've never seen before, which had come up in the news conferences in Colorado, became this meme, became this pattern, became this blueprint all across the country for future school shootings that became deadlier and deadlier and deadlier. It's infuriating and I think we're seeing it uh, with uh, Aurora, Col- Colorado. There's been so much attention. We all know exactly what happened in that theater. But the next copycat, we're going to see so many things that are similar to this, it's going to be frightening.
0: Hmm, that's a, a very interesting point. But it it also brings up the, the question of, of how the police should give, give a description of what happened, give details of what happened. Obviously, the public hasn't... They,
1: they have the right to know, but you don't need to, and we saw this, see it started, the, the way that we know that, um, that there's a real reference point here is when you started having suicides in the 80s, and uh, we saw this in research very clearly, if there was a young uh, boy who killed himself by hanging on a tree, and that, de- that kind of detail was in the newspaper, all of the copycats in an area, in this, in the, what we called suicide clusters, would exactly, in very graphic terms, follow the same method. Uh, the, the race of the kid, the age of the kid, the circumstances of the first victim would be repeated over and over again. How do we know that was different than other suicide clusters? Because all we had to do is go and look, okay, over here, everybody used a shotgun. Over here, everybody used, uh, hanging. And so there's no need for police officers to say much more than we've had a school shooting, uh, we're trying to get the, the young girl safe, uh, we'll let you know more. There's no reason that they, they had to tell about what phone he was using. I mean, I, I was shocked over the weekend. There was a, a former FBI um, commander of a terrorist unit, and he was appearing on one of the news channels and he was going over in extreme detail why the gun jammed and I'm not even going to go into the details but he told exactly what kind of uh, rounds and ammunition and the configuration of this and how it matched the ones in the movie and how it matched the ones in the 20s but how the FBI and the CIA and the army use a different one and if if, uh, you know these killers had kind of used a different one, then the gun wouldn't have jammed and, and more people would have killed. Well, What did he do? Why did he do that? Why did he actually give a formula for the next school, uh, for the next theater shooter to not have his ga- guns jam? I just didn't understand it. There was no reason for that level of detail to it, be. It, raises, a, it or, raises the
0: question are, are these people too ignorant to know what they're doing, or is there some reason for providing that level of detail?
1: Well, see, I think you're an intelligent media individual, and, and I've had this experience. People that run talk shows and news shows on the radio are at a higher degree of intelligence than most of the uh, very attractive uh, electronic visual media individuals who want to you know, make people cry in front of them. They want to uh, get details that nobody else has. They want good visuals, and they want... They want visuals and words that paint pictures. So if you're you're involved in that, then you go more graphic, you go more sensational, and they don't think of the consequences. They don't think of what's going to happen in a week or two, two weeks or a month. They just think of the the moment and the ratings right here and now. And that's that's a shame. And that's what I've uh, that's why I wrote the book because nobody was saying it. Nobody was. Everybody seems afraid to take on the media, and I, as anybody, I'm not for censorship. I'm not for uh, shutting down the media. I am, I'm, you know, an individual who's interested in data, interested in the information, and interested in a free society. But you know what happened? Uh, that kind of was an experiment. Is after 9/11, we had a 12-month period in which the media only concentrated. On uh, war and terrorism, there were no school shootings in the United States. And that was an artificial experiment in which censorship—they uh, censored themselves—and there was a blackout of all school shooting information, and uh, it just didn't happen. And we saw that in a in a, uh, in a governmental way over in Vienna, Austria, there was a series of subway. Suicides. People were jumping off of subway platforms in front of the trains, and the government came down very hard on the media, and they said, "You will not publish any information about these suicides," Uh, and they decreased the number of suicides in one year by seventy-three percent. It's just amazing what happens whenever there's a responsible media looking at what how they're involved in spreading these. uh, uh, these phenomena.
0: That is extremely interesting. So so overall, what has been the, the, the reception to your book, and and have you ha- talked to any media individuals who have uh, in some way come around to your point of view or understood the, the effect that they're having?
1: Well, there are, have been certain media. Uh, for uh, nine years, I was a consultant to the state of Maine, uh, and so some editors of, of certain newspapers in uh, Maine and Illinois and other uh, states that I went to and, and consulted with them. Uh, but uh, my book, for instance, uh, a Simon & Schuster book, a, a very you know, incredibly uh, well-known publisher, it was reviewed by one newspaper in the United States, the Boston Globe, and ignored by all other editors across the country. But I've been on uh, you know, Canadian broadcasting. I've been on all kinds of different... Uh, canadian uh, radio and television and they're very open to it and i've been uh, talked about it in europe but uh, in north america it's a book that people want to ignore
0: how ironic isn't it because i mean what better example do we need of how the media sets the agenda than if they ignore a book then they can pretend it doesn't exist
1: exactly exactly but you know it's, it's fighting windmills i mean occasionally what happens unfortunately is we have a uh, shooting like this, or a major incident, and uh, at least among uh, individuals like yourself, I can I can talk about uh, you know let's let's be a little more responsible about what we're uh, talking about in terms of these uh, these phenomena, these uh, incidents, and these uh, red dawn events.
0: I think so. I think responsibility has to start somewhere and it should st- certainly be crossing the minds of all the people who are who are covering this event breathlessly, especially now that we're moving into the the age of the blogosphere. I mean, this is something that wouldn't have played in so much even even in the Columbine in 1999, obviously the blogosphere was really just getting off the ground, but now that we have citizen media, we have we have the the media coverage of these types of events amplified by hundreds, thousands, millions of times potentially now that everyone's armed with a cell phone and and uh, taking their own f- videos and putting up their own witness statements on YouTube and other things that I've seen. So uh, so it's going to be something that I think we have to think about societally more so than than ever before. But on that note, we're going to take a short break to wrap and, and we'll be back to wrap things up. Once again, we're talking to Lauren Coleman, copycateffect.blogspot.com. The link will be in the show notes for tonight's episode at corbettreport.com slash radio. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. You are tuned in for the final moments of tonight's broadcast as we've been talking to Lauren Coleman of The Copycat Effect at copycateffect.blogspot.com and we've been talking about some of the ramifications of the breathless, non-stop, 24-7 media coverage of the shootings last week in Aurora, Colorado and the unintended consequences of such cop coverage or well perhaps intended who knows so uh, on that note we have one caller on the line so let's let's go straight to that call Dan in Texas thanks for joining us tonight
1: yes I just would ask Lauren the uh, the effect he believes it has with the uh, president going down there and making such a visible presence in the area and I'll I'll listen on the radio
0: okay thank you Dan Lauren what do you think
1: about that well I, I think that um Actually, how the president handled it was exactly the right level in terms of both uh, Romney and Obama <clears throat> talked about this, and they talked about it from a very personal point of view, from a family point of view. Uh, I, I really appreciated that Obama and I think Romney would have done the same thing. You show up and you don't have a big news conference, you don't go to the uh, you know, the prayer meeting, you just kind of greet the families and leave. That's the appropriate way to do it. You don't want to get more media attention for yourself, and, and certainly those victims don't need more media attention. And so I think uh, actually how both uh, Republicans and Democrats have handled it in terms of shutting down the presidential campaign for a while, that was very appropriate, and uh, it would have been, it would have been nice to see the media really follow that example, but the media getting and uh, the media kept going and whipping this up.
0: Unfortunately, I think uh, that that pattern has been firmly established by now that uh, that the twenty four seven news channels will definitely jump on any chance to, to sensationalize everything that's happening and to, to jump on a story like this. So, uh, so it is. It does and say it's something
1: very, very tied to our culture. I mean, you're you're James. You're in Japan. And, and we don't. We know that, uh, you know, suicides occur in Japan usually from uh, jumping from buildings and from charcoal and different things like that. There are different way, methods, but the media doesn't really go wild with them, and they don't. It is strange,
0: it. isn't it? Because Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world, but there's very, very little coverage of it in the media here.
1: Right, and um, and yet you can see some other countries, Western European countries that really do uh, go on and on about it and actually seem to whip it up uh, and have more copycats than other countries. But uh, Japan tries to keep it quiet, and, and they don't really go into it too much.
0: Well, it also relates to a culture of shame, I think. There's a lot of different things that play into that, but uh, but very, right. very interesting topic nonetheless. Well, uh, we're running out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. Can, can you direct people right. to your blog once again?
1: Well, the twilight language blog uh, on the Internet, uh, and certainly most libraries tend to have the copycat effect. And, and part of a reason of writing a book like that is not so much to sell it, but to get people to read it, to share this information and try to change the way the media is looking at uh, these phenomena.
0: Well, I I couldn't agree more. I think this is a very important topic, and so I'm glad you're drawing attention to it in the way that you are. So once again, I hope people will check out the Twilight Language blog. Once again, copycateffect.blogspot.com, and there will be a link to it in the show notes for tonight's episode. So, Lauren Coleman, thank you so much for your time and your thoughts this evening.
1: Okay, I appreciate being on the show. Thank you, James.
0: All right, and we will leave things there for this evening. Once again, thank you to all of you out there for listening. I'm your host, James Corbett from CorbettReport.com, and I look forward to talking to you all again tomorrow night. So until then, thanks for listening and take care.